You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The U.S. is said to have conducted cyber attacks against Iranian targets related to recent Iranian moves in the Gulf. These cyber operations are also said to have been a covert alternative to conventional military strikes. The Atlantic Council describes Secondary Infection, a Russian disinformation campaign that begins obscurely, then depends upon amplification. I dig into the details of Blue Keep with Joe Kerrigan, and a case of cyber stalking in Minnesota goes to court. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, June 24, 2019. U.S. Cyber Command is said to have conducted offensive operations against Iranian targets as a reprisal for Tehran's attacks on commercial shipping in the Gulf of Oman and for the shootdown of a U.S. Global Hawk unmanned drone. Yahoo, which broke the story late Friday, said the attacks were directed against an Iranian intelligence unit responsible for supporting attacks against shipping by tracking tanker traffic. Thus, the retaliation would be tuned to the attacks on shipping. The specific Iranian agency was unnamed, but it's said to be associated with the Revolutionary Guard. On Saturday, the Washington Post was more specific about the alleged U.S. cyber attack, reporting that U.S. Cyber Command had disabled Iranian rocket and missile launch control systems in the region, which, if true, would suggest a direct response to the Global Hawk shootdown as opposed to the attacks on tankers. The New York Times' source tell it that Cyber Command hit both the intelligence unit that supported the tanker attacks and missile launch systems, so the U.S. retaliation may have been tuned to both the recent Iranian actions. The cyber attack was, a source says, approved by President Trump. The reports are all sourced to at least three anonymous sources, said to be U.S. officials who spoke on condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to comment publicly. It's worth noting that this doesn't necessarily mean they were leakers, since comment on background might have been authorized. In any case, the story is still developing, and all reports should be received with a degree of circumspection. How a missile launch system or a missile control system might be susceptible to cyber attack is by no means as obvious as the reporting seems to assume. Some shorter-range air defense missiles and a much larger number of surface-to-surface missiles are as difficult to hack as a rifle bullet. But if a missile depended upon communication with the ground station for guidance 
and many medium- and longer-range systems do, then it might be more vulnerable than a weapon whose guidance was self-contained. The Iranian system may use such communication. Iran says the system used to knock down the drone was a Kordad missile defense system that Iran says can detect targets at ranges of 150 kilometers, track them at 120 kilometers, and engage them at 85 kilometers. The interception is a Syad-3 missile, thought to have been developed from the American SM-1 standard missile, which Iran received during the days of the Shah. How networked and vulnerable the Kordad system might be is controversial. Until recently, there had been doubts that the system was even a real weapon, as opposed to a Potemkin system built for PR consumption. But the claim that the system was interfered with in some way is at least plausible. The RQ-4 that Iran shot down was, by the way, a U.S. Navy drone, not an Air Force asset, as some early reports had it. U.S. Central Command and the U.S. Navy have referred inquiries to U.S. Cyber Command, which has declined to comment for reasons of operational security. Iran has promised a firm response to any U.S. aggression. Tehran also claims that the U.S. did indeed attempt a cyber attack, but that the attack failed. We stress again that this story is still developing. Also on Saturday, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, warned that Iran has increased the tempo of its cyber attacks against U.S. targets. CISA warned in particular that Iran could be expected to engage in wiper attacks. These gain access to target networks through familiar criminal methods, particularly phishing, password spraying, and credential stuffing, but their aim is data destruction, not theft. The Shamoon attack against Saudi Aramco in 2012, widely attributed to Iran, was an example of a wiper attack. CISA has collected advice for staying safe in the face of such threats on their website. It's good advice any time, not just during periods of heightened alert, so it's worth a visit. The Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Laboratory, the DFRL, has a report out on a Russian disinformation campaign. They're calling the campaign Secondary Infection after the late Soviet-era Operation Infection, which published the disinformation that AIDS was a U.S. biowar project, which of course it wasn't and isn't. Secondary Infection's goal appears to be the now customary ones of inducing mistrust and division along various cultural fault lines. Secondary Infection is interesting in that it began by placing stories in obscure corners of the Internet's hinterlands, which it then amplified through Facebook accounts, and ultimately in the state media outlet RT. The DFRL acknowledges that it doesn't have access to Facebook's back-end data, but they attribute Secondary Infection to Russian actors on circumstantial, contextual, and linguistic grounds. Patching for Bluekeep seems to be up, It appears that users of affected Microsoft products may finally be heeding the many warnings from Microsoft, CISA, NSA, and others. A police officer in Minnesota has been awarded $585,000 in a lawsuit against the city of Minneapolis and two of her police colleagues, who were among dozens of officers who had been improperly accessing her Department of Motor Vehicles records, a violation of the state's Driver's Privacy Protection Act, The snooping was apparently creepily motiveless, cyber-stalking for the lulls. Unfortunately, we end with a very sad story. How far motiveless, indeed even anonymous, malice can go was tragically on display recently. 
where a catfish working from Indiana allegedly induced a teenager in Alaska to kill a friend and send the catfisher a report on the murder. According to reports by the Anchorage Daily News, the alleged catfish is one Darren Schillmiller, a 21-year-old living in New Salisbury, Indiana, who presented himself as a millionaire named Tyler from Kansas. Schillmiller is said to have cultivated an online relationship with 18-year-old Denali Bremer and allegedly induced her to send him texts describing abuse of minors. Authorities say he then combined blackmail with an offer of $9 million to get Bremer to commit a murder for him. Any murder apparently would do. Schillmiller, remember, was out of Indiana, had nothing but an online connection with Bremer or any of Bremer's acquaintances, but he's nonetheless said to have guided the selection of the victim. Bremer allegedly recruited three other teenagers to help her murder Cynthia Hoffman. Authorities say Schillmiller told them he and Bremer had been planning a murder for about three weeks. Hoffman, described as a trusting young woman whose learning disabilities rendered her developmentally younger than her 19 years, had considered Bremer her best friend. An Anchorage grand jury indicted the six young people involved on June 14th. They're charged with murder in the first degree, conspiracy to commit murder, and murder in the second degree. Bremer and Schillmiller have also been charged with an additional count of solicitation to commit murder. We've said alleged a lot in describing the story, but one thing is certain, and not at all alleged. Poor Cynthia Hoffman was shot dead and then abandoned near the Eklutna River. She wanted friends, thought her friend Bremer was cool, and was looking forward to getting her learner's driver's permit soon. The story is unbelievably heartbreaking, and our hearts go out to the Hoffman family. And should you see anyone sliding into the kind of malign digital world Bremer and Schillmiller apparently inhabited, please do what you can to pull them out of it. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. 
Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, it's great to have you back. Hello, Dave. <laughs> I was listening last week. <laughs> yeah. Okay, about 2001. You're right, going to give yes. me a hard time about 2001. No, I'm not. I just think it was. it's awesome that you had that sound on your computer that said, I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that. For yeah. <laughs> I wish the... there was something as cool for, for guys named Joe. Yeah, well, there isn't. There isn't so there you go. <laughs> um, so I want to dig in today and talk to you about Blue Keep. It seems as though it's getting escalating attention. Yes, like, this as is... well it should be. <laughs> Actually, okay. so what do we need to know here? So last week, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, which is part of the Department of Homeland Security, issued an alert for this. So what is BlueKeep? It's a vulnerability in the remote desktop protocol of older versions of the Windows operating system. Mm-hmm. So for user OSs, it's Windows XP, Windows 2000, Vista, and 7. Okay. So 8 and 10 are not vulnerable. For servers, it's Server 2003 and 2008, both the base versions and the R2 versions. Okay. Okay. And RDP was used for what? Is remote desktop protocol. So if you want to connect to a Windows machine like you're sitting at the Windows machine, but you don't want to physically get up and go to the Windows machine, mm-hmm. you use RDP. So I could use this to log into my work computer from home or log into right. a different machine where I work and yep, not yep. have to actually be sitting in front of it. And that's really what it's used for. It's used for systems administrators because if you have to go down to the server room every time you have to make a change to a server or add a user or change something, mm-hmm. that's a lot of time. You get a lot of exercise. Right, right. Yeah. So <laughs> okay. systems administrators are like programmers. We, we don't like to move. So. <laughs> okay. so RDP is there to solve that problem. Right. This vulnerability, which is so severe that Microsoft saw fit to issue a patch for Windows XP which had end of life over five years ago. Yeah. Okay, but there are still people out there using it. Don't know if that has anything to do with how easy it is to fix it and issue the patch, mm-hmm. but I tend to think it has more to do with the severity of this of this issue. Okay. So if, if somebody exploits this vulnerability, they can do just about anything. They can add accounts with full user rights. So if there's a computer with RDP open to the Internet, an attacker can just add a new account and then go in and log into that account as an administrator. Oh, okay. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and just mm-hmm. take full control of it. They can also view, change, and delete data and also install programs. So, right? and, yeah, so th- they, they own the machine. Right. It requires no user interaction, which is why BlueKeep is considered to be wormable. I put quotes around wormable. Uh, basically, what that means is it's possible to write a program that infects one system. And once it infects that system, it looks around for other systems to infect and then goes off and infects that system. So lateral movement within a network. Or lateral movement across, or just across the Internet. Across the Internet. I right? see. That's how this is going to spread. And it is going to spread fast once one of these worms is developed. And, and, that, and that's really bad news. This is something we've seen before, right? The Eternal Blue vulnerability allowed the same kind of thing to happen with WannaCry and not Petya. That's how those ransomware packages spread. Right, was right. using a, another vulnerability called Eternal Blue, and I like the way how they're all using the word blue in them. That makes it real easy to differentiate them in your head. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think we should come up with a better scheme for yeah. these things. What are we talking about in terms of the timeline here? This vulnerability was announced on May 14th, which was the same day that Microsoft released a patch for it. So okay. it looks like somebody found the vulnerability, disclosed it to Microsoft, and then Microsoft said, we're going to develop a patch for this, and now that we have the patch release, go ahead and announce the vulnerability. Right. What's interesting is later in May, we started seeing 
tons of uh, scans coming out looking for RDP ports open on computers on the Internet from Tor nodes. Okay. Right? Now, Tor is an anonymizing network. Right. So there's somebody operating in that network that is looking for RDP hosts. Mm-hmm. So they probably don't have an exploit ready for it yet. Right. Right. But they're building up their list of, of places to go once they have that exploit and that software written. Mm-hmm. And if I were going to do this, I would make that list available to the software somehow. I'm not going to waste time scanning for machines with RDP open. I'm just going to go to the list that I know that these are open. Yeah. I've done the research, in other words. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Makes uh, sense. Then we start seeing some people who have proof of concept exploits. They don't have any payloads in them, but they're out there. There's even a GitHub repository that has it. And then the NSA issues an advisory on June 4th to install the patch. Yeah, so sort of the NSA weighing in and saying, hey, guys, this is serious. Right. (laughs) You know, have at it. So the NSA comes out and says, says, patch this system. The the CISA comes out and says, patch this, patch your systems. I'm I'm going to go ahead and say patch your system. <laughs> You're going to um, go out on a limb I'm going here, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's a real oh, risky position. Right, exactly. Oh, boy. <laughs> now, there are other things you can do if you can't patch the system, right? You can update the end-of-life operating system to a new operating system, Windows Windows 10, yeah. or a, a newer version of server, like 12, yeah. 2012. So yeah, yeah, but it, but it's not everybody can do that, right? right I mean, not you have legacy that. systems that run on Windows XP, and they run on Windows XP. Right, yeah, a it. lot of medical yeah. devices yeah. that were bought 20 years ago, they're still viable medical devices. Their operating system on those computers that, that runs those things is Windows XP. Yeah. And if those things have RDP uh, enabled, they are vulnerable to this attack. Yeah. Uh, you can disable the unnecessary services. If you just disable RDP, then you've solved the problem, mm-hmm. right? That That kind of mitigates it. You can enable network-level authentication okay. because this attack only works on unauthenticated sessions. Hmm. But if you have to authenticate, it won't work. Okay. And the last bit of advice in the update from CISA is blocking the port at the firewall. Okay. Okay. Uh, that prevents legitimate connections to RDP, though, and it doesn't prevent lateral movement from inside the network. Hmm. Right. So it's not really a good solution. Okay. The best solution is to patch, is to patch or upgrade. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think it's we'd safe to say this is one that deserves people's attention. It absolutely deserves attention. Joe yeah. Kerrigan, thanks for joining it's us. It's my pleasure. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bonn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.